Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Law School of America. Development of the Modern Income Tax. Congress readopted the income tax in 1913, levying a 1% tax on net personal incomes above $3,000 with a 6% surtax on incomes above $500,000. By 1918, the top rate of the income tax was increased to 77%, on income over $1 million, to finance World War I. The top marginal tax rate was reduced to 58% in 1922, to 25% in 1925, and finally to 24% in 1929. In 1932 the top marginal tax rate was increased to 63% during the Great Depression and steadily increased. During World War II, Congress introduced payroll withholding and quarterly tax payments. In pursuit of equality, rather than revenue, President Franklin D. Roosevelt proposed a 100% tax on all incomes over $25,000. When Congress did not enact that proposal, Roosevelt issued an executive order attempting to achieve a similar result through a salary cap on certain salaries in connection with contracts between the private sector and the federal government. For tax years 1944 through 1951, the highest marginal tax rate for individuals was 91 percent, increasing to 92 percent for 1952 and 1953, and reverting to 91 percent 1954 through 1963. For the 1964 tax year, the top marginal tax rate for individuals was lowered to 77%, and then to 70% for tax years 1965 through 1981. In 1978 income brackets were adjusted for inflation, so fewer people were taxed at high rates. The top marginal tax rate was lowered to 50% for tax years 1982 through 1986. Reagan undid 40% of his 1981 tax cut, in 1983 he hiked gas and payroll taxes, and in 1984 he raised tax revenue by closing loopholes for businesses. According to historian and domestic policy advisor Bruce Bartlett, Reagan's 12 tax increases over the course of his presidency took back half of the 1981 tax cut. For tax year 1987, the highest marginal tax rate was 38.5% for individuals. It was lowered to 28% in revenue-neutral fashion, eliminating many loopholes and shelters, along with corporate taxes, with a 33% bubble rate, for tax years 1988 through 1990. Ultimately, the combination of base broadening and rate reduction raised revenue equal to about 4% of existing tax revenue. For the 1991 and 1992 tax years, the top marginal rate was increased to 31% in a budget deal President George H.W. Bush made with the Congress. In 1993 the Clinton administration proposed and the Congress accepted, with no Republican support, an increase in the top marginal rate to 39.6% for the 1993 tax year, where it remained through the tax year 2000. Total government tax revenues as a percentage of GDP for the U.S. in comparison to the OECD and the EU-15. In 2001, President George W. Bush proposed and Congress accepted an eventual lowering of the top marginal rate to 35%. However, this was done in stages, 
with the highest marginal rate of 39.1% for 2001, then 38.6% for 2002 and finally 35% for years 2003 through 2010. This measure had a sunset provision and was scheduled to expire for the 2011 tax year when rates would have returned to those adopted during the Clinton years unless Congress changed the law, Congress did so bypassing the Tax Relief, Unemployment Insurance Reauthorization and Job Creation Act of 2010, signed by President Barack Obama on December 17, 2010. At first, the income tax was incrementally expanded by the Congress of the United States, and then inflation automatically raised most persons into tax brackets formerly reserved for the wealthy until income tax brackets were adjusted for inflation. Income tax now applies to almost two-thirds of the population. The lowest-earning workers, especially those with dependents, pay no income taxes as a group and get a small subsidy from the federal government because of child credits and the earned income tax credit. While the government was originally funded via tariffs on imported goods, Tariffs now represent only a minor portion of federal revenues. Non-tax fees are generated to recompense agencies for services or to fill specific trust funds such as the fee placed upon airline tickets for airport expansion and air traffic control. Often the receipts intended to be placed in trust funds are used for other purposes, with the government posting an IOU in the form of a federal bond or other accounting instrument, then spending the money on unrelated current expenditures. Net long-term capital gains as well as certain types of qualified dividend income are taxed preferentially. The federal government collects several specific taxes in addition to the general income tax. Social Security and Medicare are large social support programs which are funded by taxes on personal earned income. Treatment of Income Tax statutes passed after the ratification of the 16th Amendment in 1913 are sometimes referred to as the modern tax statutes. Hundreds of congressional acts have been passed since 1913, as well as several codifications, for example, topical reorganizations, of the statutes. The modern interpretation of the 16th Amendment taxation power can be found in Commissioner V. Glenshaw Glass Company, 1955. In that case, a taxpayer had received an award of punitive damages from a competitor and sought to avoid paying taxes on that award. The U.S. Supreme Court observed that Congress, in imposing the income tax, had defined income to include gains, profits, and the income derived from salaries, wages or compensation for personal service, of whatever kind and in whatever form paid or from professions, vocations, trades, businesses, commerce or sales or dealings in property, whether real or personal, growing out of the ownership or use of or interest in such property, also from interest, rent, dividends, securities, or the transaction of any business carried on for gain or profit, or gains or profits, and the income derived from any source whatever. The court held that this language was used by Congress to exert in this field a full measure of its taxing power, and that the court has given a liberal construction to this broad phraseology in recognition of the intention of Congress to tax all gains except those specifically exempted. The court then enunciated what is now understood by Congress and the courts to be the definition of taxable income, instances of undeniable accessions to wealth, clearly realized, and over which the taxpayers have complete dominion. The defendant, in that case, suggested that a 1954 rewording of the tax code had limited the income that could be taxed, a position which the court rejected, stating, The definition of gross income has been simplified, but no effect upon its present broad scope was intended. Certainly, punitive damages cannot reasonably be classified as gifts, nor do they come under any other exemption provision in the code. 
we would do violence to the plain meaning of the statute and restrict a clear legislative attempt to bring the taxing power to bear upon all receipts constitutionally taxable were we to say that the payments in question here are not gross income. In Connor v. the United States, a couple had lost their home to a fire and had received compensation for their loss from the insurance company, partly in the form of hotel costs reimbursed. The U.S. District Court acknowledged the authority of the IRS to assess taxes on all forms of payment but did not permit taxation on the compensation provided by the insurance company, because unlike a wage or a sale of goods at a profit, this was not a gain. As the court noted, Congress has taxed income, not compensation. By contrast, at least two federal courts of appeals have indicated that Congress may constitutionally tax an item as income, regardless of whether that item is in fact income. C. Penn Mutual Indemnity Company v. Commissioner and Murphy v. Internal Revenue Service. Estate and Gift Tax. The origins of the estate and gift tax occurred during the rise of the state inheritance tax in the late 19th century and the Progressive Era. In the 1880s and 1890s, many states passed inheritance taxes, which taxed the donees on the receipt of their inheritance. While many objected to the application of an inheritance tax, Some including Andrew Carnegie and John D. Rockefeller supported increases in the taxation of inheritance. At the beginning of the 20th century, President Theodore Roosevelt advocated the application of a progressive inheritance tax on the federal level. In 1916, Congress adopted the present federal estate tax, which instead of taxing the wealth that a donee inherited as occurred in the state inheritance taxes it taxed the wealth of a donor's estate upon transfer. Later, Congress passed the Revenue Act of 1924, which imposed the gift tax, a tax on gifts given by the donor. In 1948 Congress allowed marital deductions for the estate and the gift tax. In 1981, Congress expanded this deduction to an unlimited amount for gifts between spouses. Today, the estate tax is a tax imposed on the transfer of the taxable estate of a deceased person, whether such property is transferred via a will or according to the state laws of intestacy. The estate tax is one part of the unified gift and estate tax system in the United States. The other part of the system, the gift tax, imposes a tax on transfers of property during a person's life. The gift tax prevents avoidance of the estate tax should a person want to give away his slash or estate just before dying. In addition to the federal government, many states also impose an estate tax, with a state version called either an estate tax or an inheritance tax. Since the 1990s, The term death tax has been widely used by those who want to eliminate the estate tax, because the terminology used in discussing a political issue affects popular opinion. If an asset is left to a spouse or a charitable organization, the tax usually does not apply. The tax is imposed on other transfers of property made as an incident of the death of the owner, such as a transfer of property from an intestate estate or trust, or the payment of certain life insurance benefits or financial account sums to beneficiaries. Payroll tax. Before the Great Depression, the following economic problems were considered great hazards to working-class Americans. The U.S. had no federal government-mandated retirement savings, consequently, for many workers, those who could not afford both to save for retirement, and to pay for living expenses, the end of their work careers was the end of all income. Similarly, the U.S. had no federal government-mandated disability income insurance to provide for citizens disabled by injuries, of any kind, work-related or non-work-related. Consequently, for most people, a disabling injury meant no more income if they had not saved enough money to prepare for such an event, since most people have little to no income except earned income from work. In addition, 
There was no federal government-mandated disability income insurance to provide for people unable to ever work during their lives, such as anyone born with severe mental retardation. Finally, the U.S. had no federal government-mandated health insurance for the elderly. Consequently, for many workers, those who could not afford both to save for retirement and to pay for living expenses, the end of their work careers was the end of their ability to pay for medical care. Creation In the 1930s, the New Deal introduced Social Security to rectify the first three problems, retirement, injury-induced disability, or congenital disability. It introduced the FICA tax as the means to pay for Social Security. In the 1960s, Medicare was introduced to rectify the fourth problem, health care for the elderly. The FICA tax was increased to pay for this expense. Development President Franklin D. Roosevelt introduced the Social Security, FICA, program. FICA began with voluntary participation, participants would have to pay 1% of the first $1,400 of their annual incomes into the program, the money the participants elected to put into the program would be deductible from their income for tax purposes each year, the money the participants put into the independent trust fund rather than into the general operating fund, and therefore, would only be used to fund the Social Security Retirement Program, and no other government program, and, the annuity payments to the retirees would never be taxed as income. During the Lyndon B. Johnson administration Social Security moved from the trust fund to the general fund. Participants may not have an income tax deduction for Social Security withholding. Immigrants became eligible for Social Security benefits during the Carter administration. During the Reagan administration Social Security annuities became taxable. Alternative Minimum Tax The Alternative Minimum Tax AMT was introduced by the Tax Reform Act of 1969 and became operative in 1970. It was intended to target 155 high-income households that had been eligible for so many tax benefits that they owed little or no income tax under the tax code of the time. In recent years, the AMT has been under increased attention. With the Tax Reform Act of 1986, the AMT was broadened and refocused on homeowners in high-tax states. Because the AMT is not indexed to inflation and recent tax cuts, an increasing number of middle-income taxpayers have been finding themselves subject to this tax. In 2006, the IRS's National Taxpayer Advocates Report highlighted the AMT as the single most serious problem with the tax code. The advocate noted that the AMT punishes taxpayers for having children or living in a high-tax state and that the complexity of the AMT leads to most taxpayers who owe AMT not realizing it until preparing their returns or being notified by the IRS. Capital Gains Tax The origins of the income tax on gains from capital assets did not distinguish capital gains from ordinary income. From 1913 to 1921, income from capital gains was taxed at ordinary rates, initially up to a maximum rate of 7%. Congress began to distinguish the taxation of capital gains from the taxation of ordinary income according to the holding period of the asset with the Revenue Act of 1921, which allowed a tax rate of 12.5% gain for assets held at least two years. In addition to different tax rates depending on the holding period, Congress began excluding certain percentages of capital gains depending on the holding period. From 1934 to 1941, Taxpayers could exclude percentages of gains that varied with the holding period, 20, 40, 60, and 70% of gains were excluded on assets held 1, 2, 5, and 10 years, respectively. Beginning in 1942, 
taxpayers could exclude 50% of capital gains from income on assets held at least six months or elect a 25% alternative tax rate if their ordinary tax rate exceeded 50%. Capital gains tax rates were significantly increased in the 1969-1976 Tax Reform Acts. The 1970s and 1980s saw a period of oscillating capital gains tax rates. In 1978, Congress reduced capital gains tax rates by eliminating the minimum tax on excluded gains and increasing the exclusion to 60%, thereby reducing the maximum rate to 28%. The 1981 tax rate reductions further reduced capital gains rates to a maximum of 20%. Later in the 1980s, Congress began increasing the capital gains tax rate and repealing the exclusion of capital gains. The Tax Reform Act of 1986 repealed the exclusion from income that provided for tax exemption of long-term capital gains, raising the maximum rate to 28%, 33% for taxpayers subject to phase-outs. When the top ordinary tax rates were increased by the 1990 and 1993 Budget Acts, an alternative tax rate of 28% was provided. Effective tax rates exceeded 28% for many high-income taxpayers, however, because of interactions with other tax provisions. The end of the 1990s and the beginning of the present century heralded major reductions in taxing the income from gains on capital assets. Lower rates for 18-month and 5-year assets were adopted in 1997 with the Taxpayer Relief Act of 1997. In 2001, President George W. Bush signed the Economic Growth and Tax Relief Reconciliation Act of 2001, into law as part of a $1.35 trillion tax cut program. Corporate Tax The United States corporate tax rate was at its highest, 52.8%, in 1968 and 1969. The top rate was hiked last in 1993 to 35%. Under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, the rate adjusted to 21%. The Law School of America the content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America